Well, this morning we go back and now begin to continue in our series called Goodbye God. And how appropriate is that in the light of everything that has occurred? As our nation continues to move away from Judeo-Christian values, trying to sterilize God from every aspect of our public life, research has now confirmed that one out of every four Americans identify themselves as either an atheist or an agnostic, one who firmly believes that God does not exist, or one who just simply does not know. And out of those 25% of Americans, we discover that two-thirds of those individuals have had significant experiences with Christianity. That Christianity played a role in their life at one time or another. At one time, many of these individuals identified themselves as Christians, but no longer do so. We discover the reasons why they have moved from that identity of Christianity to an identity of either an agnostic or even further an atheist. It is because, number one, they believe that they could no longer trust the Bible, which we addressed in our first three sessions together, showing and demonstrating through the Bible itself as a historic document, the evidence behind the Bible, and also the supernatural element of the Bible, we showed you and demonstrated how we can trust the Bible to be the Word of God. But in their second objection, the one we are currently addressing, they don't believe in the integrity of the church or the necessity of the church any longer. And as you could tell from the video that we introduced this session with, many have very strong opinions concerning the irrelevancy of the church in America today and why they have abandoned the church and why they no longer look favorably upon the church. And honestly, I will tell you, we have given them a lot of material to write us off. We have done quite a few things to turn people from the desire of the church away from the church. And now today we see that for many, many Americans, church is irrelevant. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't play a role in our nation or in our social culture, and therefore, who needs it? Now, the only way that we as Christians can answer that objection is first by taking a step back ourselves and looking at the church objectively, which hopefully we did in our first session when we reminded ourselves what is the church. And we discovered that the church is really described in five different ways throughout the Bible. It is described as the people of God, the body of God, the building of God, the bride of God, the family of God, Those are the five identifying characteristics of the church. What is the church? It is found in those five identities. But to the world, they look upon the church much differently. And I believe that is because because many today who attend church no longer know what the church is. And as we will discover today, they they have lost the idea of what is the purpose of the church They don't understand that anymore. They attend weekly, but they don't understand it. And therefore, since they don't understand it, 
How can we ask the world to understand it? And so I felt it necessary to remind us, first of all, who we are, and second of all, what we are all about. I want to read for you the objections that many of these individuals have concerning the church. Most skeptics think of Christian churches as, and I'll read them directly for you, groups of people who share a common physical space and have some common religious views but are not personally connected to each other in meaningful or life-changing ways. Number two, organizations that add little, if any, value to their community. Their greatest value stems from the limited times they serve the needy in the community. Number three, organizations that stand for all the wrong things, wars, preventing gay marriage and women's freedoms to control her own body, sexual and physical violence uh, perpetrated on people by religious authority figures, mixing religious beliefs with political policy and action. And number four, led by people who have not earned their position of influence by proving their love for humankind and are thus not deserving of our trust. These are the objections that are listed in the report that we have given. To answer those objections, we must first correct some of the issues within our own house, right? We can't go outside of our house and start making and getting into conversations out there until we first deal with what's going on in our house. Would you all agree with that? I do. I think it's pretty hypocritical if we're not going to deal with our own issues but didn't go out and try to correct everybody else, right? To begin with that, to begin to do that, I should say, we had to rediscover what the church is. We did that last time together. Today we have to rediscover what the purpose of the church is. And when I talk about purpose, I'm talking about the reason for which something is done or for which something exists. Why do we do what we do? What is our purpose for existing? That's a question that we must answer for ourselves before we can proceed any further. I'd like you to take a moment, if you will. Maybe if you're a note taker and like to write notes, and I, or you're one of those who like to defile your Bible by writing within it. I think there's a verse that we shall not add or subtract anything to the Bible without consequence. I'm kidding, of course. Everybody's like, oh man, I highlighted my Bible. I'm done for. But let us understand the purpose of the church. Take a moment. Ask yourself. If you were to be asked directly by someone, someone you're discussing Christianity with, co-worker, family member, maybe just an acquaintance or a stranger that you meet at the local coffee store. And they ask you, what is the purpose of the church? How would you respond? Take a moment to consider that question. And I want you to write an answer or mentally jot it down in your mind. And I want to see if your answer is, works in conjunction with what the Bible says the purpose of the church actually is. Is your answer correct? Because John MacArthur doesn't think so. Let me read to you what he says. People have all kinds of ideas about churches and about what makes churches and why churches should exist, he says. If we were to survey people in churches and ask them, what is the main purpose of the church or why does the church exist? Sadly, 
Most people would get that answer wrong. So Pastor John MacArthur is challenging you to this, this, to this conclusion. All right, time's up. Pencils up, if you were. Always wanted to say that. The, church can, the purpose of the church can be identified in three words. They all start with the letter E. So it is a formula that I call E3. The purpose of the church equals E3. E to the third power. The purpose of the church is exaltation, edification, and evangelization. That's the purpose of the church. Let me say it again. Exaltation, edification, and evangelization. Now I want you to take a moment and compare your answer with those. Maybe you got one of them. Maybe you got all three of them. Maybe your answer isn't even in the ballpark and are so glad you didn't give it as a response to someone's question. The reason I say this is because before we go any farther, we must personalize it. Do you know what the purpose of the church is? I'd like to read from a portion of Greg Laurie's book, The Upside Down Church. I read about a poll that was taken some time ago. They asked a thousand people, what kind of church are you looking for? And they went to ask the people, what do you think the purpose of the church is, or why does the church exist? Of the thousand people that were polled, 89% of them, in response to the question, why does the church exist, answered by saying, the church's purpose is to take care of my family and my family's needs. Then the pastors of the same churches were asked the same question. 90% of them said the purpose of the church was to win the world for Christ. 10% of them said the purpose of the church is to care for the needs of its members. This tells me that pastors have one idea of what the church and the purpose of it is, is, and the congregants have another. And this is a reality that we must wrestle with. And hopefully in a session like this one today, we can all get on the same page. As Greg Laurie went on in his book, he says, why does the church exist? Who got it right? You may be surprised by my answer, he says. Principally, none of the above. The purpose of the church is threefold. We are here for the exaltation of God, the edification of the saints, and we are here for the evangelization of the world. A simpler way to put it is upward, inward, and outward. We are here to worship God, to build up one another, and to reach out to a lost world. This is important. We must keep these three principles in their proper balance. We don't want to emphasize one at the expense of another or take them out of their proper order. I agree with him. The purpose of the church is exaltation, edification, and evangelization. E3. And once we understand that, and that becomes the umbrella to all that we do, we then join together in unity and in a consensus, and we move together forward. But let's talk about these individually, because you may not know what exaltation means. You may not know what edification means. And evangelization, you may have a, a, an idea of, but you don't know that it's so important to what we do. So let's take a moment to look at each one of these individually. Let's begin with the exaltation. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul wrote this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsels of his will, so that we who were the firstborn to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Our exaltation is the glorification of God in and through our lives, in every aspect of our lives. As Tony Evans wrote in his book, if the purpose of life is not marriage, success, happiness, or any of that, then what is it? What were we created for? Answer, we were created to know and to worship and to glorify God. That, that's it. So Paul can say, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But the question is, what does this word glory mean? The word glory means to put something on a mantle where it can be admired by onlookers. A woman may seek glory when she decorates her home in such a way that guests say, wow, where did you get that? She puts a special treasure on display so that when people see it, they are in awe. That's glory, he says. To glorify God means to make Him look good. To place Him on display so that when others see your life, they stand in awe of your God. You're to do that even in the most mundane activities of life. Paul says, even in our everyday stuff, your goal should be to make God look good. I love that. To glorify God in every aspect of our life. Warren Wiersbe said this, To glorify God means to make God look good to those who ignore Him, oppose Him, or do not know Him. One commentator wrote this, To glorify God means to reflect by way, the way we live the glory of God. That is, that when people see us, they should be able to see by our actions how glorious and majestic our God is, who has changed us from sinners into saints, living holy lives before Him. And one in their definition of this word, to glorify God means to render glory to Him. Recognize Him for who and what He is. To celebrate and to, with praises, worship, and adoration. That's what it means to glorify God with our entire lives. Allowing the world to see a changed person. One who has been taken from death to life, from darkness to light. And then showing God off in all that we do. Like Worsby said, to those who ignore Him, oppose Him, or do not know Him. That's what the glory of God, or to glorify God, means. Peter wrote in his first epistle, he said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is true of us individually, and this is true of us collectively. This is what it means to glorify or to exalt God, to make Him look good in every aspect of our lives, individually and collectively. Individually and collectively. Number two. The word edification 
It means to be built up. Exaltation, edification, number two. Built up. It means to be strengthened, encouraged. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and I'll read it there for you. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we obtain the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. My job is to equip and to build you up in your faith, that you may grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your job when you come here is to learn and to grow and to encourage others and to edify others. In the newer translations of the Bible, that word edified is is no longer used. But in the older versions, it was. It has been replaced by being built up, which is the actual rendering of the word. I have no trouble with that. But this edification, it, it showed a quality of a church, a healthy church. The building up of the saints. The word in Greek means to increase the potential of someone or something with focus upon the process involved. To strengthen, to make more able to build up. That is what it means to edify. Now I've discovered that when you talk about edification, people have a very different opinion of what that is. And that opinion is captured in this following statement. Commonly misconstructed as the simulation of pleasant religious feelings, edification means inner spiritual strength and growth. Meaning... It does not mean pleasure or of religious feelings. Edification is not one coming to a church and being captured in the emotion of everything that is taking place, from the worship itself to the teaching of the Word of God. That is not edification, to be raptured in an emotional movement. But they go on to say it means the inner spiritual strengthening and growth. Within the church... Ministry is didactic, meaning teaching and pastoral, seeking to develop believers into mature disciples whose robust, healthy, and vigorous members of the body of Christ render it more effective instruments for His service. Both forms of ministry, however, converge on a common goal, the upbuilding of the body of Christ. In the one case, by the ascension of new members, and in the other, by the advancing and enriching the spiritual life of the present members. So it means something more than just being caught up in emotional feelings. It is the building up. It is the building up to, put, to increase the potential of someone or something with the focus upon the process involved to strengthen, to make more able to build up. That's the purpose of the church. I am here to teach you, and in that teaching, equip you to do what God has called you to do. 
We use a term effectually here, the equipping of the saints, that is also taken from this passage. As one writes in his commentary, God says the purpose of the church is for the equipping of the saints. And the idea behind equipping is to prepare, strengthen, and to make something able to be used. We come together as Christians to strengthen one another, to make us strong and able to live for Jesus and serve Him outside the church gathering. How do we do that? The equipping of the saints. In our lobby, we have a sign that we have built this church upon five foundations, and they are prayer, the word, fellowship, service, and worship. We believe those five components are demonstrated throughout the book of Acts and are active in the life of a healthy, mature Christian. I'll say them again. Prayer, the word, fellowship, service, and worship. Those five. And any time one is feeling that they're lacking, or maybe they feel as if they've slid in backwards a little bit, I'd like to ask them about those five elements of their life. How's your prayer life? I don't think I've ever met anybody who's told me that their prayer life is exactly where they think it should be, and God is pleased with it. In fact, everybody who's told me, I think I can do more in that aspect of my life. Today we have many Christians who are very, uh, very hungry for the knowledge of the Word of God, and I'm so glad for that. And they pursue God solely on an intellectual basis. But unless that intellectual pursuit is accompanied by prayer, I believe we lose the intimate portion of that relationship. Coming before God on our knees in prayer, in intercessory, in supplication, and in thanksgiving before God. The Word of God is not an option. It's a staple for any healthy Christian diet. Taking time to read the Word of God daily, accompanied with prayer. Gathering together in fellowship with one another. And that means more than just hanging out in a room together. It means more than just coming together as Christians to play a board game or to do something outside of that, uh, some recreational activity. Not opposed to any of those things. But the fellowship that we see in the Bible, this oneness, they came together to encourage each other in the faith. To stir up good works in each other in the faith. The aspect of service. Getting beyond yourself. Serving others as you serve the Lord. God calls us to serve Him. And then often that's manifest in the way we serve one another. But it gets us outside of ourselves and it moves us past a consumer to one who is a communer with God. And then there's the act of worship. And the biblical demonstration of worship is so vastly uh, superior to our idea of worship. We come together and praise the Lord through songs, which is a wonderful, acceptable thing to do. But when I think of Abraham taking his son Isaac up onto that mountain to worship God, the aspect of sacrifice cannot be lost in that equation. The worship of God, I believe, is aptly demonstrated as Paul says that he beseeches us to lay ourselves down as living sacrifices before God. That's true worship. Laying ourselves down before God as living sacrifices. That's worship. But there's a sixth. 
not as popular as the first five, but it's a mandate of Scripture for us who are elders. I believe the edification of the saints also must include discipline. Meaning that when at times discipline is needed, the elders put forth that discipline according to the biblical mandates. I believe discipline is just as important for the upbuilding of the health of the individual and of the church. Something that's lacking considerably here in our nation today, in the church in our nation today. We all know as parents that discipline is a huge role for any parent of a child. The discipline of a child contributes greatly to their healthy development. Would you agree? I would. I would say that very, very much so. So I believe it's also true with those who are in the church. Charles Ryrie said in his commentary and his book on theology, I should say, but basically the purpose of the church is to produce mature, stable, holy Christians. Doing this will sometimes involve discipline in the realm of morals and maintenance of purity in doctrine. When it is needed, we as a church must enact discipline. When it is needed. As Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that he powerfully works within me. Edification, the building up of the saints through the equipping of the saints, which we have looked at, is the second purpose of the church. Thirdly, we move into the realm of evangelism. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. But this week, did you have the chance, this last week, did you have the chance to share with anyone your faith in Jesus Christ? Did that opportunity present itself? Okay, well, maybe not last week, but in the last two weeks, have you had the opportunity to present Jesus Christ to anyone? Okay, how about in the last month? Have you had the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with anyone? Last three months? Six? A year? You haven't met anyone who doesn't know Christ in the last year? You need to get out more. I am amazed at how reluctant Christians are to share their faith in Jesus Christ. And there's all different kinds of reasons, and let me say this, excuses for why they don't. Some believe that they are just not equipped to do so. And I would say to a person like that, do you have a story that you yourself have experienced in you coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Meaning, do you have a testimony that you can simply share? Because that was often done in the Bible. A testimony simply being shared. Well, I, I, I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian because I really haven't been living like one. Well, I'm glad. Thank you. We don't need any more bad publicity than we already have. But now I would encourage you to repent and allow God to use you in that way. 
Oh, I just don't feel like I'm called to share Christ with anybody. I disagree with that. I do believe that there's a gift of evangelism that's very prominent in the life of individuals as that gift is given, and all of us would say Billy Graham. Greg Laurie, gift of evangelism. But all of us are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and should be able in one form or another to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. Within the last month I was out and a gentleman saw me as I was waiting in line for my coffee at Starbucks and while he was there he decided to witness to me. I loved it. And I let him go through the whole entire thing. And I was going to correct him on any point. (laughs) But do you know how refreshing it was? And it, it was funny because when I told him I already was a believer in Jesus Christ, I didn't even get to the point of being a pastor. He looked disappointed. He's like, I went through all that for this? Man, just give me my coffee. I'm out of here. But it was just so refreshing. I remember years ago as a young man uh, being at a, a local movie theater and I was a believer in Jesus Christ and it was back in those days as God was still sanctifying me. And as I was walking out of the theater with my friends, my Christian friends, I had my leather jacket on and this dear woman, she, I could tell she was nervous walking towards me and as I was walking towards her, I could tell she was getting even more nervous. I think, I'm like... I think this woman thinks we're going to mug her or something. And as she walked by me, she took her hand and pushed it, inserted it into my jacket pocket, and then pulled it out right away and kept walking. I'm like, that woman just pickpocketed me. (laughs) And then I'm fishing around in my pocket, and I pull it out. It was a gospel track. (laughs) I could just see her going back to her church. I went out sharing for the Lord and I found this kid with long hair and a leather jacket and I preached Jesus to him as I was running away. You know. (laughs) I think our evangelism needs to be a little bit more personal than that. But I think now more than ever, we have to look and anticipate those opportunities where we can share Christ. I think that's a mandate personally, individually, but also collectively. In the glorification of our Lord and in the maturity of the equipping of the believer, we then continue in the ministry that Jesus left off. We then continue that. And Jesus said, For the Son of Man has came to seek and to save those who were lost. In the marching orders that Jesus gave his disciples that the church is now given and mandated with, as Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Mark's gospel, it's a little different. And then he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole, whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Again, today only 11% of those polled out of that initial thousand that we spoke of believe that the church was there to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Jesus taught his disciples on how to carry the gospel into all the world. 
The church is equipping you to carry the gospel into your worlds, to allow it to be heard and seen in and through your lives. So the third aspect and the purpose of the church's existence is evangelization of the entire world, locally and abroad. This is what we see in the book of Acts in closing. In the book of Acts, we saw that after the initial 3,000 had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ there in Acts chapter 2, after they came together, it is written that this is what they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and with generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The purpose of the church, compared to your initial answer, is this. We are here for the exaltation of God. We are here for the edification of the saints. We are here for the evangelization of the world. And simpler, to put it in this way, another way you may grasp and and uh, comprehend, we have an upward, we have an inward and an outward call. We are here to worship God and to build up one another and to reach out to the lost world. The purpose of the church. Why do we go to church? To fulfill the purpose of the church.